the ways that we're going to do that today is with an ordination. And so I'm going to have all of our pastors uh, come here, come up here, come on guys. And uh, why don't you bring the handheld then? And uh, we got something special this morning. So, um, yes, this morning we are ordaining Benjamin Kim. To be He has been a pastor of this church. You know, ordination, what we are doing in that is we are recognizing something that God has already done. And God has already made Ben a pastor. He has been shepherding this flock, uh, especially when it comes to musical worship. He is our worship pastor. And, uh, you know, with worship, um, that is instructing the church in doctrine and it's knitting our hearts closer to Jesus every time we press into him with worship. And so it's a really great responsibility in the church to shepherd in that area. And so we're recognizing what God has already started with them, which he's already leading us. He's already shepherding us as a pastor. And so the ordination is just simply agreeing with God what he has already started with them. And so, and... What's special about this is that these three men were the pastors of Life on the Hill Church, which is the church that basically Calvary Chapel Palsford has got to stand on the shoulders upon. And many of you guys here were part of the Life on the Hill congregation, and uh, those are the people that so faithfully serve with us week in and week out. And um, Rob and Ben were, Ben Kai were um, ordained with Life on the Hill Church, and we are going to transfer their ordination to be Calvary Chapel Palsworthy's pastors. And so, um, yeah. And so, um, first, we wanted to give an opportunity for uh, Ben Kai to speak just for a moment about, um, you know, Life on the Hill becoming Calvary Chapel Palsworthy's and their joy in being pastors of this church. Amen. And uh, the opportunity to transfer our ordination, I think, uh, as we were sharing and talking about this, um, what we decided, and the young adults will appreciate this because we talk so much about it, is being unified under a single banner. Um, and as we know that, you know, ultimately his banner over us is love. Um, but there's the banner of Calvary Chapel Palace where it is. And that's the banner, you know, the, there's the universal church of God, but then there's the manifestation of God's church in individual locales as God sees the need of that community. And we want to be unified on the purpose for which God has brought Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes on this hill, um, to take this hill for Jesus, to serve the needs of the people. And uh, this just becomes that statement that your leadership here is unified in that single purpose with the vision that God has given Daniel uh, to bring on this hill. As he said, standing on the shoulders of all the work that has been done over the years here uh, to plant the seeds. The word tells us one plants, one waters. God is going to cause the increase. Yeah. And that's what we're looking forward to here as a body. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. You want to say something wrong before? Yeah, I was just going to add what Daniel said. I mean, Life on the Hill was an amazing experience, but it really was looking back at God's history, the foundation for what he's, he's doing now. Our guiding principle had always been just get as close as we can behind Jesus and then be ready to follow him when he moves. Yeah. And we met Daniel and heard of his vision. We said, God's moving. And so we said, this is how we're going. So it's a great privilege for both of us to uh, be ordained to Calvary Chapel. Yeah. I love it. All right. All right. So, Ben, I've got some charges for you, okay? All right. So, Ben, you have been called by God to shepherd this flock. 
that has been entrusted to our care as elders of this church. And God has made you a pastor. And we're here right now to recognize that. Amen? Amen. Amen. And you've been called by God and you've been equipped by him to lead these people in the way of Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, they will follow you. Amen? Amen. I charge you to model your life according to Jesus Christ, who came to serve and not to be served. I charge you to lead this church by using the gifts that God has given you uh, and that he has equipped you with. And you would equip these saints with the gifts that they have to serve this body. Amen? I charge you to teach the word of God faithfully, to watch over your life, over your family's life, and over this church's life by taking heed according to sound doctrine. Amen? I charge you to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, since you will be shepherding this body in musical worship, that you would sing to the Lord new songs, that you would make joyful noises to the Lord, and that you would press into Jesus and bring us with you. Amen? You are a great man of godly character and conduct, and we recognize you today as a pastor of this church body. We love you, and we're blessed to receive the love that you have for us. Amen? Amen. Awesome. There we go. Let's let's pray for these uh, godly men who are the pastors of of this church. Lord Jesus, thank you for Rob and Ben and Ben Nakai. Thank you that you have called them and equipped them to lead this church. Lord, I am humbled and indebted to the faithfulness of these men. God, I thank you for what you're doing here in Palos and in the South Bay for your glory, and that you're using these men to reach many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit to come upon them in a fresh way, Lord, that they would be fully equipped for every good work in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, so good. Awesome. Well, really blessed to be inside with you guys today. We're just going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to open your Bibles, Mark chapter 11 is where we're picking up. couple things just as we've moved inside, you know, there's going to be some ways for you to just become familiar with with this place. We do have bathrooms downstairs. If you go out those doors and to the left, we've got our restrooms. We also have in our cafe area, we're going to be serving coffee and donut holes pretty soon here. And yes, I, I think the game was for the donut hole part. And um, we also have our offering box there. You can give in person or you can also give online. We'll always be praying, obviously, for that part of our worship. Children's ministry right now is upstairs, and um, we are planning to expand out our children's ministry classrooms because they don't all fit. We've got about 50 kids up there, and so we're going to be expanding into some smaller rooms downstairs as well. So Leah will direct parents where the kids all go and things like that. So. It's really exciting to be inside. We're going to be working through a couple things. One thing that I just noticed is 
Um, as the service starts, we'll have those side doors open, but as soon as service starts, you'll come around the front entrance just so that we don't have distraction during worship. So that's, we're just going to figure out those things together, but we're just going to keep teaching God's word and uh, keep gathering. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me pray for our service this morning, and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us all together this morning. We ask that as we open your word to us, you would open our hearts. God, we ask, Lord, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would glorify Jesus in our midst as you've already begun doing this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we saw how Jesus confidently entered into Jerusalem at a day that is known as Palm Sunday, an event known as the Triumphal Entry. And he rode in on the back of a donkey as the Jewish people praised Jesus as the Messiah, the King, who was coming to save his people. We remember, right, that they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. And we know that Jesus is going to save his people, yet it isn't going to be in the way that they wanted. They were looking for a political ruler, but he was going to save them in the way that they needed. And this all took place knowing that in a few short days, Jesus was going to be going to the cross. And he knew that the same people that were out there uh, in the city streets yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, would be the same people telling Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Because it would be on the cross that salvation would actually come to those people. And it's by the cross that salvation comes to you and I here today. We're leading into the cross. This last portion throughout the Gospel of Mark covers the last week of the life of Jesus. And so as we're now looking in Mark chapter 11, I want you to take note of the last verse we covered uh, last Sunday, which is verse 11. It said that Jesus had entered the temple at the later part of the day and he looked around. And what he would have seen as he was looking around in the temple is that the people had turned Jesus' father's house, which was to be a house of prayer, and they turned it into a den of thieves, a place of greedy and corrupt people who were seeking to make a profit off of the worship of God. And, and people had turned the worship of God into corrupt and futile religion, and we saw last week in verse 11, it says, Jesus saw it, and he left it alone for that day. See, Jesus went back to Bethany with his 12 disciples, and he would return the next day to deal with the things that he had seen in his father's house. But before we get into what Jesus does at the temple, I think we can already see here something about the character of Jesus, about how he put off confronting this issue of corrupt religion until a later time. And, and that kind of makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? We we know that Jesus does confront sin and injustice, and Jesus will make every wrong thing right. But we see here that he delays that judgment. We'll see him release judgment in the next few verses, but there are times when God allows things to pass by unchecked or unjudged for a period of time. At least that's what it seems like to us. That God 
is a judge, we know that, that he will judge both the living and the dead, and nothing is going to escape the judgment of God. However, we see something about the character of Jesus where sometimes he waits to deal with something. Why, why is that? What is that waiting that Jesus has? That's the merciful patience of Jesus. This is the character that we're talking about where sometimes he gives it a day before he actually deals with an issue. We read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So there's times when Jesus does not come down upon us in our sin in the same day that he sees it. I mean, I know that from my own experience. Wouldn't you be able to say the same? Sometimes he allows in his mercy and in his patience to allow us to go on for a period of time. Hoping that we're going to see the corrupt and futile ways of our sin. He wants us to see that, and yet God will often show mercy by his patience so that our proper response, when we would see the mercy and grace of God, and it would lead us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that draws us in, makes us realize our futile days. But listen, guys, there is going to be the day where that merciful period of the patience of God will come to an end. Where he will come like a thief in the night to judge. So right here we see off the bat that, that Jesus enters the temple. And in his merciful patience, he wants the people to respond while it is called today. Because we are not promised tomorrow and there is the day that is going to happen at any moment. So we thank God for his mercy, but now look at verse 12 through 14 where Jesus does deal with the things that he saw there in the temple. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. So this is one of the most interesting miracles of Jesus, right? We look at it on first glance, and it seems like Jesus is a little bit hangry. It's like when I go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, and it's closed, and I say, may no one ever eat a chicken sandwich from you again, right? I say, oh, come on. So I go to Raising Kings. Um, and so Jesus goes to this tree. And there's no figs on that tree, but it was a leafy tree. He, he went up to it thinking that there were going to be figs, but there weren't any. So what is this whole situation about? And the disciples, it says they heard it, and I'm sure they were wondering the same thing. What is Jesus doing here? Well, we see this moment as something like a living parable of Jesus. The Lord is going to show his disciples about the kingdom of God through this fruitless fig tree. Simply put, this moment 
is a living parable of the curse of fruitless religion. Write that down, maybe. This cursing of the fig tree is a living parable of the curse of fruitless religion. And right there, this fig tree, um, it's, it's like if you could hear this fig tree talk. Jesus goes up to it, and, and he sees this tree, and it has no figs on it, but it had leaves. And it would have been, you know, look at me, I'm a fig tree. And I've got these leaves on me, and, and they're like green and popping out, and you'd think that maybe underneath the leaf would be a like nice little ripe fig for somebody to eat. But as you come close, you know, and get beyond that outward appearance of a fruitful tree, and you really look around, you're not going to find any fruit on you. And this is where we start to understand this living parable that speaks about Israel at that time and can certainly speak to us today. Jesus saw this fig tree and he saw that there was a direct correlation with that fig tree to what he saw in the temple that day. When he went into the temple, he saw the appearance of worship, but it was actually self-promotion. He saw the appearance of sacrifice, but it was actually dishonest gain. He saw the appearance of pure love for God, but really it was dead and corrupt religion. And we've been going through the Gospel of Mark long enough to know that Jesus gets worked up the most when he sees empty religion. Jesus really gets worked up when he sees people professing and looking good on the outside, but inside they are rotten. And Jesus does not enjoy hypocrisy. He spoke out against it again and again throughout the scriptures. And Jesus is going to show us in his word today his, his disapproval of this. Those who have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power. That's the curse of fruitless religion. Those who seem spiritual by some sort of outward action, some outward form of religious activity, but truly they're not bearing any fruit that's keeping with repentance. They're not bearing any fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's see what Jesus does as he now makes his way into the temple, this place that is a direct correlation to that fig tree. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So we're seeing this part of Jesus, right, where we talk often about the real Jesus. And this Jesus that we're reading in this portion of Mark is as much the real Jesus as we have seen him being the healing Jesus, the Jesus that blesses children, the Jesus that gently and lovingly corrects his disciples. This angry Jesus who releases judgment in the temple is the same real Jesus that we've been talking about. And I know for me, I know the real me needs to sometimes see this real Jesus. This is the real Jesus where, you know, I kind of sit up in my chair and listen up to this Jesus. This is the Jesus that I have a reverent fear of because he has a zeal that consumes him for the holiness of God. This is the Jesus where I understand how seriously he takes worship. 
and how seriously he takes the instruction of God's word. And I love this real Jesus. And I see this truth about him in Mark chapter 11, and it does not contradict anything that I know to be true about Jesus. Because he is perfect in all of his attributes, even his anger that we see right here. We also read that he drove out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. Now for the Jewish people, right, the temple was the place that God had called his people in to come and worship him. And every male Jew uh, would bring his family into Jerusalem during this time known as the Passover. That's right where we are in Mark chapter 11. We're entering the time of Passover where the Jewish people are celebrating God's redemption of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And they, they were to worship in the temple. And their worship was done with animal sacrifice. And certain people knowing that all of these Jewish people were going to be coming in and filling the temple and filling the city. They turned the temple into something like a modern day theme park. Right? If you've been to Disneyland, you've ever paid a meal at Disneyland, then I think you're going to understand what was taking place in the temple. Price gouging, you know, long lines, all the, all the things. But people were coming. And they come from all these outside small villages. And a lot of people who didn't have a lot of resources would bring with them their own supplies of worship. For instance, maybe a man would come with his family and he'd bring a pigeon to sacrifice for his family. But once they got to the temple and he got in line and he went through the port of the Gentiles and there were these booths that had right pigeons for sacrifice. They'd go up and he'd say, I, I got my I got my pigeon, I'll pay the temple tax, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to offer the sacrifice. They say, oh, no, 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 you can't use that pigeon. You have to use our temple-authorized pigeons for worship. And what they would do is they would drive up the prices of these other animals of sacrifice. So you brought your little pigeon that cost you 10 cents, and they drive it up to $1.10. And, and some commentators estimate that up to 15 to 20 times price increase on things at the temple. And look, this isn't the first time that Jesus had come in and seen this. In fact, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he goes into the temple and he cracked the whip. Like literally, Jesus made a whip and he goes into the temple and he is like, whipping these tables, turning over these cages, releasing the pigeons, and completely destroying this place. Because what the money changers were doing, right, he says he overturned their tables and the seats of those who sold pigeons. What they were doing is they were exploiting impoverished people, especially taking advantage of the Gentiles that were coming in to worship the God of Israel. They set up in the court of Gentiles, and they would set up their tables and their exchange booths, and they would drive up their prices and, and turn this holy place into what Jesus refers to as a den of thieves. Do you think Jesus had their attention as he walks in flipping these tables? course. And I love what it says there. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Jesus comes in and he takes control of his father's house. He was jealous for his father's house and he was going to teach them about what the temple was truly meant for. Look at verse 17. 
And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So God wanted the temple to be a place of worship for people to come and pray, right? And, and all were welcome. Jews and Gentiles alike were to come and to worship the God of Israel. However, the Jews have forsaken their own worship of their own God. And, and those God-fearing Gentiles that actually wanted to come and worship the God of Israel were being exploited by price gouging and high exchange rates. And Jesus said, they've turned this place of prayer into a pit of thieves. And when we think about this concern of Jesus, this anger of Jesus, it should cause us to have a proper God-fearing worship. Where you understand that the righteous anger of God will consume Jesus if he sees people misrepresenting a holy God. I mean, this should cause the church of Jesus Christ to examine themselves and say, how are we representing the God of the nations to the people? Causes me to examine my teaching. Causes me to examine my prayer. Causes us to examine our worship. It causes us to examine everything when we see this Jesus. In verse 18 and 19, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy, him, to destroy him. And they feared him because all the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So with all this focus, right, all this attention now on Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes were now conspiring to kill Jesus. Jesus has been systematically destroying the religion of the, of the chief priests and the scribes. And so they're seeking to destroy his life. But guess what? They don't realize that by destroying the life of Jesus, it would put a complete end to temple exploits. Because Jesus was establishing a new covenant by his blood, where there would no longer be a requirement for pigeons, because we have the blood of Christ. Jesus was setting up a new covenant where you wouldn't need a physical temple for you to travel hours on end to get to because God would establish a new covenant where he would make living people his dwelling place. That believers in Jesus Christ would become the temple of God so that the temple can be in all the nations. And Jesus is here with these religious leaders conspiring to kill him, not knowing that it was the cross that was going to put an end to this feudal religion. And then verse 20, it says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree, and it was withered away at its roots. They left the temple, they came back, and Peter sees it, and he's like, Whoa, Jesus, check it out. The end result of religion was demonstrated with that fig tree, which is death. It was dead and cursed, withered away to the roots, so that God could give us life, where we would worship God in spirit and in truth, where we could worship God anywhere, because God's spirit dwells in us. See, as they saw this fig tree, we have to consider 
what it was that Jesus was showing them. He was showing them that he had cleansed the temple, he had taken control of the temple, and, and he wasn't allowing anyone to pass through, and he was showing his disciples something about how we would become his living temples. And think about that when you come to Jesus, which is that he takes, he, well, first he comes and he cleanses your life, right? He overturns the tables of idolatry and false worship, and he comes in and he takes control. And with that control, he doesn't allow just anyone to pass through. In, in that time, they were passing through the temple because it was just a shortcut to get to the city. They cut through the Holy of Holies to get to where they wanted to go. And this is what God says about your life as the living temple, that you're not a shortcut. That God's spirit dwells in you. And he discerns and decides and controls everything that passes through your life. Because you are meant for true worship, true sacrifice, and true love for God. Look at verse 21 through 25. It says, And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, may forgive you in your trespasses. So Jesus, standing there at that fig tree with his disciples, is showing them a better way to dead and fruitless religion. What's the opposite of dead and fruitless religion? Right there, it says it, right? Have faith in God. And Jesus explains what faith in God looks like by talking about two things, prayer and forgiveness. And we're going to look briefly at these as we kind of come to a close here. Ready? Prayer. Think about prayer, guys. What a blessing we have to speak to God. We sang in the worship song, um, I've seen you move, you've moved the mountains, and I believe that you can do it again. That if we have faith for God to move mountains, and by mountains we're speaking about those insurmountable obstacles of our lives. Where we can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, which is impossible to physically do. You can't go and take the San Bernardino Mountains and put them in the Pacific Ocean. But by faith, you can move insurmountable objects in the way of your faith and cast them into the sea. And if we're honest, we hear this promise of Jesus and we say, wow, that sounds nice. Sounds incredible. In fact, we read there that he says, if you believe what you pray for, you have received it. And we, again, we, we think that that sounds nice. And the problem is, is that too many Christians Leave it in that realm. Sounds nice. But to actually activate that kind of faith. And Jesus is not talking about, you know, saying to God that I'd like a million dollars. And then God's just going to give you whatever you want. But guys, listen, he is talking about real, spiritual, physical, and emotional needs. And the prayers of faith will change things. 
See, does it make null or void this promise when you pray something and you believe that you prayed it in faith but you did not receive it? Does that make null or void this promise of Jesus? It doesn't. Because we've got this tension, right, where we've got these unanswered prayers and we have to reconcile with this promise of believing prayer. But, but what I see in Scripture is that those who walk by faith trust God to be sovereign. And yet by prayer, we can move the hand of God. And, and there's this tension that I see in Scripture that is just there, and it's real, and you just have to come to terms with it. And so I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you what to pray for. Just pray and pray with faith. He says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Bring anything and everything to Jesus in prayer and see by faith the results of what God is going to do in your life. And, and be aware that whatever requests and prayers you bring to Jesus, they have to be God-honoring. God's not going to answer a prayer, no matter how much you pray and how much you think you have faith, if it goes contrary to who God is or if it's going to harm you in your life. But can I just give you guys a tip? It says in 2 Corinthians that all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. So if you want answered prayer, simply what you can do is take this book that contains the promises of God and do this. God, you said this, and I believe it. So Lord, would you do it? God's faithful to answer that. Don't doubt, because if you doubt his word and his promise of what he said, why should you receive anything from God? But if you believe in faith, oh, this promise that I see here, promise from Jesus, and it's yes and amen in him, receive it by faith. I believe God will answer those prayers. Next, you're to pray with forgiveness. I'm going to just briefly mention this, guys. If you worship God and there comes to your minds just harbor bitterness and unforgiveness, release it to Jesus. There's nothing that hinders faith like unforgiveness that's harbored up in your heart. That's all, that's all I got to say. And, and there's enough evidence in the scriptures and there's probably enough evidence in your own life that to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness is so detrimental to you moving forward in faith. You know, people liken it to, you know, drinking poison and hoping that your enemy dies. So forgive. And then we come to a close here. I'm just going to read this last portion of scripture because it's so good. And we don't even have to make any real comments on it because it just speaks for itself. Look at verse 27 to 33 and then we'll worship Jesus. It says, and they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And, they, and Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it from one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man... They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John 
really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> it's just like, aren't you just amazed by the wit of Jesus? By the authority of Christ. It's so incredible. The religious leaders come and challenge the authority of the Son of God, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he just traps them in their own ways. That's the thing. Fruitless religion is just a trap. You're just going to get caught up again and again in all these catch-22s, rather than simply submitting to the authority of Christ. Now, as we end, I don't think it takes much preaching expertise <laughs> to bring this all home to you. So, you are the fig tree. And if Jesus were to come into this room right now and get up right to you and examine your life, would there be any fruit? And look, he's going to look past all that exterior that you have. Everything you're putting out today that makes you seem spiritual. First and foremost, just by sitting in church. But if Jesus came in and you're that victory and he walks right up to you, he looks past all that exterior, what is he going to see? And look, not looking for some explosive amounts of fruit, even if you do have that. The Bible teaches that some will have 30-fold, some will have 60-fold, and some will have 100-fold. But if you just have one little fig tucked away in that corner of your life, Jesus will see it, and he can work with that. If you have a faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. If Jesus walked in, he examined your fig tree, what would he see? And you are his temple. And if Jesus were to walk in here right now, because this building is not a temple. We've been in a parking lot. God does not dwell in buildings anymore. He dwells in living beings by his Holy Spirit. Has he even come into your life yet? Perhaps your life is just this dead and futile place of religion with all kinds of exploits and all kinds of false forms of worship. And maybe Jesus just needs to come in and have turn over every single table that's in your life and then set up control. And so if you are the temple of the living God, if God's spirit dwells in you, then you are called to glorify God with your body. You're called to glorify God with your life and everything that you do. And so God has taken control of your temple. Now he's going to be there saying, what can pass through? Your life is not a shortcut for God. God wants to dwell in you permanently and powerfully. So if he comes in, will he see your temple looking that way? Pretty straightforward, right? You're a fig tree. You're a temple. And Jesus is here to examine you today to see if there's any fruit in your life. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. As we worship you now, Lord, we come to you, this real Jesus, where we are sober-minded. We've heard truth today that is direct and straightforward. And we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you would move in us. Cleanse and control today these temples that have come here this morning. And Lord, we pray that this church would abound with fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit that would be to your credit. Thank you for what you've started, that if you have implanted the word of God within our hearts, we will bear much fruit for you, Jesus. And so we abide in you today, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would produce great fruits to your credit and to our benefit. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We worship you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all worship together, guys. <laughs> 